Welcome along to another episode of the Make Life Work podcast. I am Cy Jobling at Cy on Twitter and for this series I will be talking to people from around the tech scene about balancing work, life, health and side projects. This week I've invited along Rachel Shilcock, a freelance brand designer from Manchester. I met Rachel many years ago, again back on the web conference circuit, and she's been very prevalent in the tech world scene with her delightfully upbeat attitude and fascinating stories of working in freelance brand design. Rachel has been through some challenging times with her health as well, finding a good balance of fulfilling client work with personal projects and growing a personal brand. We've shared several stories over the years about our own challenges with things like imposter syndrome, and we've both given talks at public events about this as well. So again, Rachel felt like a perfect person to invite along for a chat on the Make Life Work podcast. Let's get into it. Welcome along, Rachel. Thank you so much, Sai, for having me, honestly. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on board and lovely to catch up properly as well. I know. I was just saying to you before we started recording, wasn't I, that I sort of disappeared for a while and I'm slowly easing back in. So I'm hearing that a lot from people as well. It's great to have you back, though. So I, I, I do remember the, the glory days, as they were, with all the web celebs hovering around. And, you know, <laughs> Don't say that word. Don't say that word. When I've said <laughs> that before now, I've I've had consequences happen with that, honestly. So Yeah, I'll get you. It's a horrible phrase. I think most most people in that category regret being labelled with it as well, so it doesn't do any favours, does it? No, and I think as well, like it's that's the key to it is that it was a label that was given by other people to them. Like I, you know, I was very much, you know, I started in this industry when I was about seventeen, going along to meetups. So gosh, like twelve years ago now, and I just kind of, I did, I saw all these other people being labelled as web celebs and basically felt the same way. And then I met them at conferences and through chatting on Twitter, like you say, with the old glory days. And a lot of them are really good friends now for me. And it's just kind of, you know, even I got labelled that at points because I was speaking a lot at conferences and it's really like the opposite, but it's just such a funny term when you think about it. But yeah, like at the end of the day, everyone's a normal person just doing what they can do, aren't they? So I think you hit the nail on the head there about people just being normal, you know, define normal, but we are just humans at the end of the day, aren't we? Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm anything but normal probably, but, um, I'm not, well, that's at least what my family would not label me as. <laughs> Good. We don't like those labels. Well, <laughs> well that's not good, no. <laughs> it's not normal at all. We've digressed already, but um, no, I thought it'd be good for you to probably introduce yourself, tell us a bit about what you do and how you got there as well along the journey. Yeah, of course. So I'm Rachel. Hello, everyone. And I run um, a creative studio called Rachilly, which is basically a nickname I got given. And I couldn't think of anything more creative. So I went with it. <laughs> but I've done a lot of things. So I, I started coding when I was 11. I taught myself to code and kind of went from there, really. I was always known as like the IT girl in school. And then I dropped out of college or sixth form here in the UK and that was at about 17 and I didn't have any A-levels. Like I got some AS levels, which were like the first kind of year of your A-levels. And I was pretty proud because I got CDEU. So it was a nice pattern and I'm obsessed with patterns. So that was like an achievement for me after the terrible year that I'd had there. And I kind of dropped out and started studying interactive media. And that was kind of my first introduction to realizing that I could 
do this as a job in a way like I hadn't really seen anyone else being a designer I'd always admired like films and movies and design and everything like that and I drew on my walls as a little kid but I never really realized that it could be a job and something I could do for work and it was at that point really that I kind of like I said started going to these meetups in Manchester there's so many people I know like yourself that I started meeting at conferences going to when I was like in my very early 20s and then about just over seven years ago now, so in 2012, about September, I started my own business. And that kind of came about after, to be quite honest, a really toxic workplace that I was in. And it was horrendous. And I was kind of like really bullied by the boss and things like that. And it got to the point where I got signed off with stress. And I was struggling with like anxiety and panic attacks every day because of it. And I thought that the sensible idea without any savings and without any work lined up or anything like that was to actually start my own business at that point. And so, yeah, everything's kind of gone from there. And I guess I've done something right because seven years later, I'm still working for myself. But that's been a whole evolution in itself, kind of going from doing a lot of like web-based work then to now calling myself a brand designer and doing a lot of like branding logos, courses on branding and all of that sort of stuff. Nice. I mean, I can't believe how young you were when you started all this. 17. Yeah. It's quite a young age to be thrown into this industry, but I guess a lot of people in that age range are new to tech, full of energy, really obsessed with it. What kind of your attention in, in tech scene that you thought, I want a piece of this? Well, I mean, I didn't start working in the industry until I was about 20, it must have been. So it was like 1920, sort of that age, because I started studying this interactive media HND like a year early. It was supposed to be an adults only course. So from like 18 upwards. But I shared like my portfolio that I already had at that age of like stuff that I'd been working on. And that was a really kind of great introduction for me. Like I already knew so much code stuff at that point as well, that we had a web design module and I was helping teach the teacher and I was helping him teach the class and things like that because I knew everything on it. And they had to like order extra resources in because I'd already used like Adobe Illustrator for years and things like that. So it was really like this sort of weird introduction where it was, I thought I was going to learn a lot of new stuff and it taught me a lot about like discipline and deadlines. And I got to study art history for a module and things like that which I loved but at the same time I kind of got to know about stuff in the area as well and I think it was probably 17 18 ish that I started going to these meetups and I met people that I'm still like in touch with today and they sort of took me under their wing and really sort of helped me get to know people and then the first conference I went to I believe was the new adventures I think it was the second new adventures um the first one I was a little bit like oh my god I don't know anyone I don't know what I'm doing and then at that second new adventures but the first one for me I remember that Graham Smith Gav Laxian on Twitter who I adore he was like always you know he lived up in Manchester at that time as well so he was always kind of looking out for me at events there and he was like going around introducing me to people and making sure like people that I called you know like we said at the beginning web celebs like Jeremy Keith and lovely people like that and Simon who runs New Adventures who's now like a dear friend of mine and it was just really funny to kind of meet all of these people that I'd been chatting to online and see them in person and like they're an actual real person that I'm talking to and yeah it just kind of snowballed from there I guess. That's great I mean like you say that that New Adventures conference it's a hive of genius basically these are people that we've all looked up to all respected all learned from like you say when you meet them they're just another person and you, you feel like oh my god you're, you're that person i've always respected you never should never meet your heroes they say but you're like hey mate i just like building websites like you I'm like yeah that's the true you know <laughs> 
That's it. And I think there's something about being in this room with all these hundreds of other people that are seeing this stuff like live on stage. And it was the first conference I'd been to really like properly. Um, and I just started speaking myself at that point as well. So I'd done a couple of like small talks, you know, one at MKGN, which I think we met at. Was that like the first time we met? It might have been. Uh, I feel like it might have been. Yes. Yeah. But then like I did a small talk there. I did one at the digital barn and then i actually did one at the event that was the night before new adventures as well so it was kind of like this i think that was like the following year actually when i did that but i just sort of started getting into it like when i first went to the like the second new adventures i believe i was still like working for this other company but the the one that i went to where it was like the first i was sort of like three months into running my own business and starting to speak on stage at like this big event the night before new adventures and it was just crazy pants to me i was like what's going on like this is this is crazy but since then I've actually done like 12 talks now or something and I'm starting to ease back into that again after a few years away I mean I was just thinking about that actually the fact that you were so young and you were talking at meetups at conferences now you say 12 you've done now as well yeah like from small meetups to like big talks on stage and I think like the biggest audience I've spoken to I only did like a three minute like lightning talk but it was something like 1200 people and it was terrifying like because it was this it was at the oh goodness it was um in Brighton at one of the uh, reasons to be creative I think it was and oh goodness (laughs) that was an experience that I'm not sure I'd want to repeat to be quite honest it was terrifying that many people but you, you actually couldn't see them because of the lighting and everything so it was kind of like speaking to this black room but it was yeah it's crazy to think kind of how I didn't really let stuff hold me back then I guess even though I kind of did like I was diagnosed with a condition and like a chronic illness kind of thing before I even started working for myself like at about 20 so it was really interesting to sort of see the differences then and like that Obviously, like looking back, I must have had this sort of inner confidence about myself then, but I didn't feel like I had it at that point. So, yeah, it was a lot of kind of testing the waters and like just putting myself out there, even though it was terrifying. Uh, it is terrifying. And it's amazing how many people, especially in our industry, that just shy away from public talking. They don't feel the confidence to do that. But you were doing it again for such a very young age. I mean, have you got anything from your history that kind of encouraged you to be more confident in yourself? What prompted all this? Yeah, I mean, it's really funny that you say that as well, because I I was taught to sing from a very young age. I was in choir right. at school and I had singing lessons in high school for about, like, well, for the full five years I was at school, really. And... I I kind of, you know, it was one of those things, though, that it terrified me to perform and to sing in front of people. And it still does. Like, I still get, like, nervous about it. And I'm the same when I go on stage. Like, beforehand, I, I remember chatting at an event I was talking at once with Matt Bolton. And he was like, I need to eat, but I feel like I'm going to be physically sick. And that's kind of like how I am before a talk. I cannot deal with the nerves and the anxiousness. And the first 30 seconds, I feel like my voice is shaking, almost like getting on this podcast because it's the first one I've done in a few months. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to say? And then it just starts to flow. But like one of the one of the most hilarious but brilliant compliments I had was that I'm known as this sort of quieter person until you get to know me like now like I'm chatting I know you well and I'm very talkative but I'm very introverted and so with some people or at some events particularly if I know I'm going to be speaking there I'll be really quiet and I think it was Andy Clark who said he was at the MKGN like all day that I spoke at and he said like who was this person that 
turned up on stage because there's quiet Rachel that we know and then there's Rachel on stage who is like this performer and I guess that's kind of how I deal with it in a lot of ways is that I see it as this performance that I'm putting on and it's sort of like that amplified version of me almost like when you look at people that are filming a TV show or a movie or whatever, like their makeup is so heavy because the cameras need to pick it up. And I feel like that's almost kind of like how you need to be on stage. Like I'm me, but kind of trying to amplify it and really kind of show up in that like larger than life kind of version of me. But I just, that's the easiest way for me to get through it, to be quite honest, because I do find it terrifying. And I'm one of those people that's like going to be before it's all like, can I breathe? Can I get through this? I've forgotten everything I want to say, like everything like that. And then when I get on stage, I'll just kind of try and deal with it and do as good a job as I can. You, I mean, you, you have got a natural flair for stage. I think, and I think that maybe that singing background does help you realise that how to project your voice for one, how to hold yourself and how to overcome the audiences that can be very intimidating. It doesn't matter how many times people talk on stage. Everyone gets that slight nerve or adrenaline before they go on. So you handle it well, I think. That means a lot. I mean, it's definitely one of those things. Like, I I ended up burning out a couple of times sort of in the last few years. And so I decided to sort of take a step back from doing it. But I've got, like, my first kind of big uh, speaking gig next year in March. And I'm just kind of like, when I looked at the lineup, I was like, oh, oh, God. You know, because it's like people from all these huge companies from all over the world. And then me with my little Rachel creative studio logo and I was like oh my goodness this is ridiculous but at the same time like it's really funny because I hate getting on stage and talking about anything to do with tech and design because I feel like I'm going to stumble over that more even though I could happily do it and I teach courses like online with it and stuff and I love it on stage something about that feels terrifying but the sort of talks I do love to give are kind of like those vulnerable real kind of talks where I'm just like look this stuff happened to me and this is how I've dealt with it and this is how I've like helped to influence my work and I think there's something kind of disarming about that because a lot of people don't expect me to get up on stage and talk about my failures and what I've kind of found terrifying in life and work and everything and burning out and all of that sort of stuff chronic illness like all of the taboo subjects is kind of like where I end up going But I think, you know, it's really interesting because when I got on stage at MKGN to do the All Day talk, I was talking about failure and fear and how that can sort of influence us. And I was like, look, I'm afraid of bananas. Like I was I was at that point terrified of bananas and I've actually had like hypnosis and all sorts of other things on that. And I'm not as terrified of them now. But because I got up there and said like this ridiculous fear that I had, all these other people started to open up. And and so it's just kind of I love that sort of way of getting to even in a group of like hundreds of people or a couple of hundred of people or whatever, like to be able to just stay connected to each other and to really kind of get everyone like around this core message. I just love that. And so it's almost always worth like the exhaustion and the fear and the terrifyingness of going up and doing it because just sort of that feeling of knowing if I can help one person through something, then it's worth doing. I do love that about speaking. I agree with you. I think, everyone's sort of well not everyone i think a lot of people get into speaking thinking i can make a living from this um and there's almost like a you know it's validation from you know what do i know how can i share that and how do i benefit from that personally for me it's more about giving back and i I, like you i think it's it's more about i'll share my story so hopefully someone else can benefit from it as well i mean you talked a little bit about your chronic conditions that you've had to deal with as well I think, and you mentioned about MKJGN, uh, Milton Keynes Geek Night. 
I think we, yeah, like you say, we met there and I gave a talk about imposter syndrome, I think, back then as well. Which I loved. Well, thank you. Very ironically, I, was, I felt out of my depth giving that talk. So That's the thing about it. And I think that's what's so good, though, is because when you can give those sorts of talks, it gives other people permission to feel that way as well and to feel a lot less alone. And I remember like that talk so well. And I think they're the sorts of talks that people will remember and will talk about for a long time to come. So I think like props to you for doing that because I think it's so easy I I think it's so much easier to get up and talk about design stuff because it's that practical thing whereas when you get up and you sort of expose yourself vulnerably a little bit more it can it can be really difficult so it's a different angle to look at when you're working in our industry people are very sort of I want to I want to learn a new thing I want to touch that new tech but actually I think a lot of us are dealing with a lot of different anxiety issues mental health problems uh, me and you have both been through very similar challenges like that. Yeah, I, I could talk about this all day, me and you. <laughs> we could ramble for hours about this. How, how have you tried to handle it yourself? You've been through, it sounds like you've been through a, a wave of challenges over the last few years. What happened and how did you kind of overcome that as well? Yeah, so I am my worst critic. Like, I will admit that fully, I really am. And so what I expect of myself is way more than I would expect of like my worst enemy not that I have enemies but you know what I mean like you wouldn't wish it on anyone else type thing and one of the things that people always say to me is like how do you get so much done and I suffered from imposter syndrome a lot and I would be like what do you mean I've not done anything like I've not done a lot at all like to me I wasn't doing a lot even though I was speaking on stage I was like you know I wrote a huge series of articles for Envato and I've since recorded like a course for them and things like that. So I've done a lot of stuff. I've, you know, won a couple of awards in communities I'm in. I've had a lot of interviews, a lot of features. So I've done a lot and I'm not saying that to brag, but for a very, 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 very long time, I would not celebrate that. And I would not kind of look back and think, oh, actually, well done. Like you've published a book. That's a really big thing. Or you've released a course. That's a really big thing. And so I'm trying to get more into the habit of recognizing how much I do try to do. And the one thing for me is that, like I said, I was diagnosed with basically there's this whole hoo-ha and this is a whole other podcast about health in itself about this. But the condition I was originally diagnosed with has been like reclassified and renamed and all this sort of stuff. Um, But essentially I was diagnosed with like hypermobility and now it's called hypermobility spectrum disorder and all of that sort of stuff. So it's like, it's wonderfully clear. Not, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But um, essentially it took me like over a year to get that diagnosis and I was in work at the time and you know I was just out of my teens like you say I was still young I was like 20 nearly 21 I believe when I got the diagnosis and I went into victim mode about that for a couple of years because I didn't understand it and the way that the doctor delivered the diagnosis was not ideal in terms of like he told me the worst possible things that could happen with it initially and then kind of was like oh but we can look at this this and this and things but essentially I kind of live with chronic pain and chronic fatigue and all of that kind of stuff like every single day the problem with that is well there's like there's the good and bad sides to it so the good sides to it is that I feel that it's really helped me like not pull all-nighters and stuff like that and generally I don't work beyond certain hours so that I can switch off and that I really look after myself but I'm also like prone to overworking you know in school I got 
kind of pulled aside because I was overworking in school. I would kind of work all the hours at school, stay behind at school afterwards to sort of do more work. And then I would come home and work till 10 o'clock at night because I was like desperate to do well. And so it kind of was, it became a problem then. And so it's the sort of habitual thing that I've had to try and sort of move through. And I think essentially it got to a point where I was 25. So I was running my business for three years. It had just been three, like just over three years. And I had what was, what the hospital thought was a heart attack. And that was at 25. And I got admitted into hospital overnight and like you can hear my voice shaking about it almost because it's like a really emotional thing for me when I look back at it. But I was really like unhappy with my work. I was overworking. I was trying to sort of get every client in that I could. And it was just a really like stressful time. I was struggling with anxiety. And it turned out, thank God, that it wasn't a heart attack. It was actually an asthma attack, which I suffer with from asthma, but that had triggered panic attacks at being unable to breathe. And essentially the whole thing kind of looked like the symptoms of a heart attack. And so they had to keep me in overnight and things to check like these specific levels in my blood and stuff like that. And it was fine. But it kind of opened my eyes at that point. Like I'd burnt out completely to the point that I landed myself in hospital at 25 with a suspected heart attack. Like that is ridiculous. At that point, I started changing like everything in my business. It took me a while to get over like the general burnout, the exhaustion that I'd had from that. And so I started like working with different clients. I shifted more into the branding and the design, which I really enjoy. I stopped like going to conferences and speaking as much. I kind of was still doing it, but just not quite as much. And then two years and I think two weeks or two years and a month to the day after my first burnout. So towards the end of 2017, it was like the very end of November, 2017, I burnt out again. <laughs> and I landed myself in hospital this time via ambulance because I had norovirus and my body had just got completely dehydrated from the reaction to that because essentially I was just so ill I couldn't even keep water down and so my body was just like shutting down and my heart rate just elevated and luckily like I got to go home that day because they gave me fluids my heart rate stabilized to a point they were happy with and things like that but I didn't realize at the time how bad I was and I think again it was that case of overworking and doing too much and not really kind of paying attention to the warning signs but what was really interesting about that second burnout is that we're now like recording this two years later, like two years after that first period of burnout. And it took me probably 12 to 18 months. So until like earlier this year, until I actually started feeling better from it. And so there's like, there's all sorts of other like health stuff that's come out. So I've got all sorts of other little mini health issues that have been going along, like alongside the chronic illness stuff, as is, you know, always the case. But it's kind of only this year that I really sort of started trying to focus on finding that balance and that blend between doing the work that I really love. Because that second burnout, like I was loving my work. I was working with the most amazing clients. I was booked out six months in advance. You know, I was doing really, really well. But at the same time, I just was depleting my energy far too much all of the time. So it's kind of that experience of that and then having that problem of, I wanted to feel like I was back on top, but I couldn't really stop what I was doing. So I had to kind of stop all the non-essentials and I ended up like losing friendships and all sorts of stuff. People thought that I wasn't supportive of them when really I was just trying to get through each day for like those first six to eight months. Yeah, it's kind of led me to where I am now where I feel like I've got a better blend, but I can still 
fall into those habits. So it's that daily practice of trying to figure out what works for me, because I think it's very, like everyone says meditate for 10 minutes a day, it'll clear your mind. But for some people, their mind is racing for those 10 minutes and it does them no good. And so it's about finding like what works for you. So for me, trying to figure out what that is, and I'm still figuring that out. Like I've still not got there. But I'm willing to kind of notice now. So yeah, you've talked a lot about you know burning out. You've talked, you've been through all those warning signs. You've been through a few cycles of it as well. So you're kind of learning as you go along. And I think you're in a, in a quite a let's say lucky environment where you have complete control over your working arrangements, right? So you're a freelancer. You work from home, I imagine. Yeah. What's the typical arrangement for you? What's your typical day look like? And how do you make that work for you as well with your, you know, your chronic conditions? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, one thing I feel very lucky about, like you say, is that I've got a lot of control over what I do each day to an extent. So I schedule my own work. I work from home in my little home office where I've become a crazy plant lady. I've got 38 plants in this tiny little room. And so I I think that's been a big thing for me is like making sure that my environment is something that I really love. Um, That's been a huge thing for me this year. And also like making sure that I spend time not working because I used to sort of I you know I love video games as well but what I used to do like a couple of years ago is that I would be playing a video game on my computer and I'd have my laptop open at the side of me and then every time I died I would do a bit more work and so it's like I never was really switching off whereas now like I found that for me one of the the big things I can do is like get up earlier and get on with work earlier because that's for me like when I've got my most like creative energy and so I will get up and get on and maybe work on my own stuff for a little bit first because I find that working on like my projects or fun things that I want to work on or create like my courses and stuff really kind of fills up my cup to work on my client work and vice versa. Like I love kind of, I've never really been able to sort of do that. There was this whole thing of like work from your laptop, work anywhere, you know, create digital products and courses and you'll never have to sort of work with clients again. And whenever I give up the client work for a bit, I really miss it. And so I really want to find that blend myself of having like the lovely clients that I've got, like I have now and figuring out how I can balance that and blend that with creating like products and stuff, which I really love. But yeah, for me, it's all about kind of getting up early. I tend not to work. I still kind of do like nine to five hours because they work really well for me. But sometimes, like I say, it might be like seven till three or seven till five or whatever. Like I just tend to sort of stop when it feels like I need to, but I'm also like really flexible. So I'll have breaks during the day. Like I'm not like going to feel guilty for going and watching a Netflix episode during lunch or something like that, because I know that I work really hard, but I'm not going to lie. Like procrastination is like a big thing for me and trying to make sure that the time I do spend is like focused time is kind of the best thing I can do because otherwise I will very easily like waste time and not do like productive stuff. Yeah. It sounds like you've got a really nice balance there actually. Um, I think having those boundaries of nine to five as a guide really help anyone it doesn't matter you work freelance or you know in a, for the big man which which i do obviously and for me i'm like you i i'm more productive in the morning than i am in the evening that's my creative time so i like to use my morning commute to just do work a little projects that i have on my own but it's funny that you it's nice to compartmentalize that time as well because it, it can drift right and when you're working on projects that you love that are your babies almost they're not your client work it's so easy to be distracted and then go oh god i've got to do real work now 
and I, I was in the zone, but I've really got to find that balance. And it, it's, it's a hard discipline, I think. It sounds like you've kind of working through it at the moment as well. Definitely working through it. And I think the one thing that I always try and remember is that what I decide works now doesn't have to work in the future. So if things change or if circumstances change, like if I'm having a really bad week. So one of the things my current physio said to me last, you know, the last few weeks is that he wanted to try acupuncture. And that's to sort of maybe help with getting rid of some of that daily pain that I have. And the first time I had it, I was sort of okay, but struggled a bit and then had a day where like with my neck where he did it, it was like completely pain free. And I hadn't had that in so long. I could not remember the last time I'd had that. And Last week, for example, we did the acupuncture and I had a really bad reaction to it. Like I'd had this reaction the first time I had it, but it wasn't as bad. And I then had the pain free stuff. But this time it was like, no, it aggravated the injury. It made it worse. My neck just completely spasmed and seized up and it was so painful and it felt like a rock. Like it did not feel like it was part of my body when you felt it. And so I had to kind of adjust straight away. And I'm really lucky in that a lot of my clients, I, you know, I've tended to now go for rather than having like that almost rise and fall constant, like hustle mode of trying to get new projects in, I decided to do a lot of like retainer work. So I do a lot of retainer work for clients where I do like regular work for them. And then I have like the odd project that comes along that I really enjoy. And so I've been trying to sort of find that blend with work. And luckily, like my clients are really flexible a lot of the time. And I've just got, you know, certain things I can shift around because I had to do that because I couldn't just sit there. Like I, I ended up taking like two hours that afternoon just to lie on the sofa with my heat pad on with my dogs like cuddling up to me because they wanted to steal the heat pad off me. Um, but like I had to take those couple of hours and it's meant that I'm now like feeling like I'm trying to play catch up because I've got these things I needed to get done. But also like just realizing that I can be flexible when I need to be like one of the things that's been super helpful to me as well like if you work for yourself or if you work for a company and you've got like a physical disability you're also entitled to something called access to work here in the UK which basically makes adjustments and stuff so this chair I'm sitting on now to talk to you for example would have cost me like a lot of money but they would like if you work for yourself they provide it for you and stuff like that so Originally, when I first started working for myself, my mum used to work in the disability services in higher education. And so she told me about it and they gave me like a desk, a chair, other things that might help like keyboard arrangements and, you know, keyboard stands and all of that sort of stuff. And like I've recently bought a new desk myself because I'm in a much better place where I can afford to do that. But at the time, like they gave me so much equipment that helps. And you can actually do that if you're in the workplace as well. So if you do struggle with like a physical disability, I think your employers are, in, you know, they have to pay a certain amount towards it. But then it's sort of like it's like this grant from the government that basically helps with it. And so there's always things out there to help you. You just need to know what they are. And like that's one of the things that's not spoken about very often. So you don't really know what you're missing until you realize that you're missing about <laughs> you're missing it. That's been like a super helpful thing for me is just to make sure that I'm like comfortable. So because I'm more comfortable, I'm more able to work for longer as well. So it's kind of figuring out what those adjustments are that you need and then doing whatever that is, whether it's taking a break or getting like a better chair. I work on Wednesdays, like on my own business, because for me, it's that hump of the week. I can sort of, it breaks up my client work in a really nice way as well. So I can like write my email newsletter or do different things like that and work on my own projects. And to have that kind of dedicated day, like don't get me wrong, it's took me seven years to get to that day. 
<laughs> like I didn't have that when I first started working for myself. But having that day now, it just gives me that creative freedom to work on stuff I really want to work on and to have that sort of freedom of expression for myself that I might not always have in the same way with my clients. So yeah, that's like a really important part of my schedule now as well. Like I shouldn't forget to mention that. So it's a good call. I, I, I'm like you as well. I think because I work long days, I, I travel to London every day for my work. And I've gone to a better habit of using Wednesdays or Fridays as my work from home day. And it gives me a chance to do stuff like this in my lunch breaks and stuff like that or out of hours. You know, it's it's quite easy to fit it in. And I, I just feel a lot more satisfaction from having a bit more time out in the morning with the kids, you know, actually taking my time to get ready in the morning and then, you know, make the most of those benefits. So, And it does make you feel so much better, you know, having that flexibility. Well, that's it. Yeah. Like, one of the things for me as well, like, I've started, I need to get out in the garden more, actually, thinking about this. But I've started doing things like gardening and, like, my house plants and stuff. Because just taking, like, it takes me half an hour in a morning on a Monday to, like, go around and check my plants and water them and everything. But that half hour is, like, so good for my mental health that I just relax when I'm doing it and the same with gardening or whatever it is like for you like getting to spend a bit more time with your kids like I feel like whenever we say there's not enough time like we can make the time we just need to make it a priority and I say that because I said that a long time ago as well I was like I don't have time to do that and then really you know I sort of realized after burning out so much that I can make time for things it's just about putting myself first or putting my needs first more than anything else because when I was burnt out I couldn't do anything for anyone you know I could barely keep (laughs) keep myself going each day and stuff and keep my business going and so I've seen like the real world effects of what happens when you don't do that and so it's that kind of reminder to find something that works for you even if it's a five minute pocket in the morning before you have to run out to work like you can find those five minutes and so yeah, I think it's just about looking after yourself wherever you can. Completely agree. Right, we've done a lot of talk about health and well-being and stuff like that. Let's uh, get back into some of the other parts of this topic. So your work, right? You, you're a brand designer. I've always admired your personal brand style. It's very fun. It's got a lot of elegant feeling, very bright and cheerful. How did you find that style and what would you like to do with it going forward? Oh, this is a very meaty topic for me at the moment. Great. No, no. I mean, I'm in the process at the moment of like revamping my messaging a lot because I realized that what I do is kind of I love, for example, these things that I call branding systems. And it's very much like design systems and web systems on the web. But it's it's in a way of like I realized that the way that I approach branding is in this way that it's not just a logo like you need the full brand. But what does that mean? And then how can that also help you with your business? And how can that help you with the goals that you set for you in your business? So I work with a lot of like business owners and entrepreneurs kind of like myself, um, like online businesses. And I just sort of realized that I was approaching it in this very systematic way of the way that you can approach it and create stuff and all of that kind of thing. And I need to put more of that into my messaging and figure out what that is. So I'm in the messy middle of figuring all of that out. But I'm really, you know, thank you so much as well for like the kind words about that, because it's a style that I find really hard to kind of figure out what it is, because the way that I approach branding is that it's the way that I approach it is that it's from within. So it's like from within you. And it's all about creating like an authentic feel and an authentic visual. And that comes from 
like really deep strategizing and research and stuff when it comes to developing what that brand is. And and my brand has just been like so many things over the years that it's kind of evolved into the place that it is now. And so I, I've got to the point where I'm really happy with it, but I also know it needs to kind of change and grow a little bit. I'm at that point now where the brand is almost starting to feel like it's holding me back. So I'm going to sort of dive into my own process with myself and and go through that and sort of see how it evolves to become that kind of next level version. So it's kind of terrifying going through your own process with yourself though, because you can notice like any little holes, but luckily, hopefully I've perfected it enough over the past few years, like clients seem to love it. So I've got to kind of take the time to do that with myself now as well and really kind of do it from a more strategic point of view, I think. Yeah, I mean, like you say, you, you, your brand has evolved over the years, as you have personally, right? And you've learned along the process, oh, there's a system to this. I could create a system that I can then reuse on all my clients. Then taking a step back to do it on your own brand, that'll be a whole different ball game because you are your own worst critic, right? You you won't ever be happy with or p- p- perfectly happy with what you're making. But yeah, it would be interesting to see where you take this because I, like I, I, I love that it's very you. It, and, and that's what a brand should be it's, it's the core essence of what a brand is um so i'm intrigued how that's going to develop over the next few years for you that, make sure you uh, share your uh, progress with us oh definitely i will do and and that's one of the things i know i need and want to do more as well is kind of share that behind the scenes stuff because that's what my audience really seemed to love and i didn't realize that for a long time like i never really shared my work and stuff and i think a lot of the time we get trapped or i definitely did like got trapped in that feeling of it needs to be perfect and i need to figure out exactly what i want to say before i say it and so like for example the last couple of years on instagram which i used to be really active on i just haven't been and i just haven't re- like i'm on instagram stories a lot and i talk a lot and ramble a lot and and love doing that and and things but i also kind of have not been posting for example and trying to grow that because I just didn't really know what I wanted to say because I felt like it had to be perfect and I'm sort of shaking all of that off through like doing this process with myself and realizing that I need to take my own advice a little bit more so what I always tell my clients to do I need to sort of follow through with myself so I'm just sort of like trying to figure out what that is and and get there so we'll see how that goes but I will definitely let you know and keep you updated so well well, talking about updates and all that you you've got into a better habit of writing your newsletters now haven't you as well yes (laughs) and I'm I'm loving that you've come back out of your hiatus um what 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 sort of prompted that original newsletter format anyway and you know you talked about the break but how you got back into it as well I think, again, I was just so worried about figuring out like the theme or what it should be or what I should say and how strategic it was and and everything like that, that I just stopped doing it because I was like, this is too much pressure. And so what I've started doing is kind of just going back to what I used to do in that I'm I'm not planning ahead what these are each week, but I'm just sitting down and writing whatever comes to me. And I I really love doing things like batching content when it comes to like blog posts or it's this particular sort of thing. But when it comes to my email list, I think where it's always sort of worked really well is when I've done it how I'm doing it now. So I've consistently emailed for four or five weeks now, which is unheard of for me, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just that giving myself that freedom to sort of process it and and almost use my email list as a journal is pretty much kind of how I approach it now in that 
I just say what comes to mind and whatever that might be that week. And it seems to be working. Like it seems to be resonating. I'm getting better open rates than I have in years. I'm, you know, getting virtually no unsubscribes. And so like, that's my big focus of the next sort of year and all of 2020 is that I really want to focus on my core values of like connection and giving back and all of that. And so one of the ways I want to do that is through like my email list. And I know a lot about email marketing and everything like that. And I've helped clients with it and I've never really done it for myself. So again, it's all about the advice I give to others, really trying to just take that on board and do what feels good and right in the moment, but also see how I can do that to start help building the business again and like building my audience and stuff. Because I I had something like, I think it was about 1,100, 1,200 people on my email list. And I got rid of most of them because I just like got rid of them. I was like, when GDPR came around, I was like, I'm going to do a last minute email and the people that really care will look at it and answer. And that's fine by me. And so last year I deleted like 1100 people off the list. And so I ended up with like 50 people in the end. And I was like, right, that's fine by me because these 50 people are committed. They really want to hear what I've got to say and they care about what's here. And so I've really enjoyed having that kind of freedom of knowing that it's a really small audience and experimenting with what works with that and not really seeing any change to my bottom line in my business as well was really interesting with it. So it's been really interesting, but now I'm kind of feeling ready to amp it up again a little bit. So we'll see how that goes, but fingers crossed. Keep it up. Now, I I think you, you made a few interesting points there, actually. So you mentioned GDPR, which we all know has been a massive let's say ball ache for many people but it gave everyone an opportunity to actually address all that all the, the spam effectively right do people actually engage with this stuff i'm producing so clearing it down from 1100 to 50 might feel really painful You're like wow i've lost over a thousand potential leads from my mailing list but they weren't engaged anyway so get rid, you know. Exactly. Well, that's why I did it, because these people had originally signed up for like these freebies I was offering, but that's all they wanted. And so they weren't engaging with the content anyway. And nowadays, like I know that not, you know, I recently had like my seventh business birthday and seven is my favorite number. And so I ran this big extravaganza giving away seven days of freebies and stuff. And I didn't have like all like 60 odd people that I've now got on there because for a long time as well, I didn't even have an email sign up form on my website. I just completely took it off. I just made that brave move of, you know what, screw it. I'm done with this right now and I'm just going to keep it as it is. And that felt really liberating because it's the opposite of what everyone says to do. And I very much like to rebel like that. But it was just really interesting to sort of see how that sort of grew and happened. And those people just weren't engaging to begin with. So I was like, I'd rather have like 50 people at the time that really care about what I've got to say. You know, to me, those 50 people... I sent that email with something like eight hours to go before the deadline. And I was like, if no one responds, then I'll just have to start again. And it was just really sort of soul nourishing for me to see that actually this, these 50 people have seen this email and want to stay in touch and want to stay connected. And I thought that was sort of, you know, that was good enough for me. And I know I can easily build it up again to 1100 if I want to again, but I want to make sure that those people are really committed and interested in hearing from me and connecting with me rather than having 1100 freeloaders <laughs> essentially yep. so nice keep it up though it's, it's good to see and I, I read them every time they come through it's great oh thank you 
Good. Right. Final part of this is all about side projects. I think you alluded to some earlier on in our conversation. So what have you got on in the works at the moment? Why do you do it? What's the plan? Tell us a bit more about what, where you're going to go with it all. So one of the things I love to do is sort of give back. And I, I like to do that sort of through teaching in a way. So a lot of um, when I was in school, I got told by my teachers that they thought I was going to be a teacher. And I was like, hell no, like, I do not want to do your job. But then I've kind of fallen into it in doing this in that I, I really love getting to sort of teach other people like my own methods or my own techniques and seeing them learn it and realize for themselves is just so rewarding and I really really love it but I think at the moment like one major thing for me is that I started calling like my branding methodology a certain thing and I I looked for trademarks I looked for all sorts of things like that And then I've created a course around it. Like I've done all sorts of stuff recently with it. And then I found that someone I thought was copying the name. And so I was like, oh, and this has happened in just the last couple of days, Sai. So it's still fresh. (laughs) It's still almost emotional. But no, it it was really eye-opening for me. And I actually see it as a blessing in disguise because I was kind of, you know, there was nothing I could really do when I got legal advice about it. There was nothing I could do. There there aren't any trademarks and it isn't really a very trademarkable name. And then I also found out that I wasn't the first person to use this name and that two other people I actually know also use it. And I didn't know that. And so I thought I'd done my research. And so it just sort of, to me, was like, oh, dear God, this is a sign I need to change the name. (laughs) So I'm in the middle of figuring out what all of that looks like. But for me, I've got so much I want to do. And for me as well, it's also really important that I know that my one-to-one services aren't always accessible for every kind of business that maybe is in the sphere of who I work with because they might be more expensive than they can afford or it might be you know if I'm booked up it might be too far away and so I also want to kind of serve an audience who love me and my methods and the way that like my approach and everything but also is kind of accessible to them and so there's a big trend with like online courses and stuff that they've got to be super expensive and they've got to be super, you know, jazzed up and everything else. But for me, I'm, I'm like, I really want to keep it accessible. And whether that's the right decision or not, I'm still like looking at the data and figuring all of that out. But I really love being able to create like affordable online courses for people. And I just love this kind of creating digital products and giving away everything really. And I'm, I'm really focused on sort of doing that as much as I can. I've always got ideas and I'm having to always like put them aside. And like my, one of my like coaches and mentors is constantly saying, Rachel, stop (laughs) think like have a a few minutes and then I'm like yeah okay I'll put that aside for like next year but yeah I just kind of love getting into that creation side of things and creating courses and sharing what I can um and I really don't believe and subscribe to the sort of thing where you know we should keep our best kept secrets to ourselves and things like that like I really want more people to know about what I do and how I do it and stuff so Like my long-term goals are to sort of, once I figure out the name for this whole (laughs) branding method stuff now again, once I've kind of figured that out, I've been mapping that out a little bit this morning and I really, really want to turn it into like a course for other designers so I can teach them how I brand with my clients and the whole process and all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, crazy wild dreams. I'd love to have like a whole book around it and maybe a certification and all of that sort of stuff. But 
it's it's just for me really exciting like the possibilities like i don't think you always need a side project that is kind of necessarily like to do with like you say the newest tools or the newest ways of coding or doing things like that i think sometimes you can do stuff purely for yourself and also you can do stuff that sort of gives back i don't believe that you need to be an expert in something to teach about it i know there's this quote as well that goes around that i saw nathan barry tweet about that he says as well um and he's the creator of ConvertKit, which is the email marketing platform i use but he said something like you know i always say that you're not an expert when you start to teach but you become an expert by teaching and so i thought that was really interesting and sort of the way i try to approach it yeah i'm, I'm a lot like you in this sense i i don't I spend a lot of my time building stuff for free. It's not it's not to make money, it's to, it's to give back generally. If it builds my profile, brilliant. That's, that's one nice takeaway. But generally, it's more about I can do something for someone else. Like this, for example, the podcast that we're doing today. It's all about, right, let's talk to people that I know about the challenges we have, share it with the world, and hopefully they can learn from it as well. We're not going to gain much from this, to be honest, right? But it's given us a chance to have a good chat. So it's, it's, it's wonderful to hear you say that your side projects are purely for satisfaction reasons. It's not like as a, I don't know, one day we'll be millionaires, rodders. It's, it's just very, I want to give back. And I love that you're still tapping into your education that you you seem to be very good at. Um, you've got You've had that guidance already. And I'd love to see where this is going to go. And trademarks aside, you know yourself what it is. So it's very authentic as well. So it's not something that you kind of go, I've seen an opportunity here and I want to make the most of it. It's more like, I want to do this, so I'm going to do it myself in my own way. Absolutely. And I love doing that as well. Like I always try to make sure, like one of my biggest values is like generosity and being able to be generous, whether that's with my time, like what I create or, you know, my energy or whatever it is, um, my money, things like that. I try to be really generous wherever I can. And so even though like, don't get me wrong, I would love to be a millionaire or selling my digital products, but I'm not, you know, I'm not sure that would ever happen. It could do. But for me, I'm also like really conscious of the fact that when I was starting out, I couldn't have afforded to take a thousand pound course or something like that. And, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of money on courses and everything else. I've spent thousands over the years now, but, you know, cause I really valued that learning and being able to learn, but I know that there's a place for people who need those freebies or need those like lower price stuff as well. So that's like my way of trying to give back. But yeah, I always try to make sure that for everything I create that is like a paid thing. I also have like a free thing as well that can sort of help people. So like, I know I'm saying this on your podcast, but like, I'm also going to hopefully start my podcast soon about branding and my approach. So anything you can do like that, if this, like listening to this interview with you, if someone finds some sort of value and help in that, like it's completely worth it. And, and it's, it's definitely something that I love to see more of. I can't wait to hear your new podcast now either. It's great. There's a massive bandwagon of podcasts now. I'm, not, I'm rich coming from me, but I've been doing, I've been producing podcasts since 2005 when it was really a kind of very early concept. It's only now I'm actually bringing back to, you know, like I say, giving back and my skills doesn't mean I'm an expert in these things, but I've certainly got my own take on it. 
it'd be, it'd be great to see what you do with yours as well thank you yeah i i've been it's been in the works for a couple of years but i just like i said put everything aside when i last burned out and yeah i'm feeling like it's time now so we will see it should be out soon hopefully i'm i'm so excited that you started this though as well because i think like the topics are so necessary and so needed that i think it's just going to be brilliant so yeah i mean we've alluded to the fact that you know you've got to be mindful of your own health your own type capacity you know being observant to your health you know when you, you were crashing out with your burnouts it, it's easy to miss um so i'm hoping people can understand where we're coming from saying know your capacity prioritize life over work over fun but make sure you find a good balance right there's no golden nugget to this there's no silver bullets to what is the right ratio but everyone will find their own eventually <laughs> definitely and if you find yourself like i did thinking i feel like i'm gonna burn out like at that point stop because i didn't and a week later i was in hospital <laughs> so when you're at that point you're often too late so i think the more that you can do now to make that change and to make that difference is just so worth it okay one last question for you for anyone who wants to get into the industry which you've been through quite a lot what would be your number one tip Oh, I think the number one tip I would have is to focus on relationship building and making those connections. Like, I'm not going to say learn all the latest techniques, learn all the new things, because if you're just starting out, it's probably wise to get a job to do that because you will then learn on the job and you'll learn from your mentors and the people that you work with. But the biggest reason by far that my business has been a success for so long is because, you know, like I said, when I started out, I had no savings, I had no projects lined up. And because of the terms and conditions of the contract that I had with my previous job, I wasn't even allowed to mention that I was going to be working for myself until my notice period was up, which happened to be on the 7th of September of 2012. So I couldn't even mention it. And I was going to be starting working for myself from the following Monday. And that was a Friday. So it was like, you know, I couldn't even talk about it. But the reason that it then became a success and I pretty much went straight into work with other designers and other friends like Dan Davies at like the agency that he worked at was because... I'd focused on those friendships and relationships since I started joining the industry. And I just made sure that I was, you know, really spending the time to nurture those and not doing it for any other reason other than to be friends with people and to get to know people. Like I wasn't doing it focusing on work. I was just doing it to be nice and get to know people and to feel less lonely in the industry. And those friendships paid off because I then worked with them or I, you know, they put me in touch with someone else who I could work with. And that's the sort of thing, you know, those connections made, you know, a thousand percent of the difference between if I hadn't have done that. I don't think I would still be running my own business if I hadn't have done that. So your, your, your number one tip is basically work on your relationships, find the good people and keep them hot close because they are the most valuable thing, right? Yeah. And just reach out to people. Like we're all, like we said, we're all humans and you can you know you can speak to anybody like I remember that I was reading one of my favorite illustration magazines when I was a teenager and my mum used to buy me like net mag and computer apps and stuff like that and I was seeing these illustrators and like one of them is a really good friend now and has been for years because we you know I just reached out one day and um just said like I love your work and it's so cool and we just got chatting so you know it can definitely happen and I think nowadays with everything that's out there it's so easy to do and and just sort of focus on those relationships for sure completely agree I, th- I think when i started my career twitter was just coming up taking off so it was a good platform to actually meet new people but 
like, like we talked about the web celebs, but don't be shy. These are just generally people. And I wouldn't have got to where I am today without being able to approach those people and ask questions and they go, give it a go, or you should do this. I'm like, oh, excellent. So yeah, completely agree with you there. So that's cool. Right then, finally, can you tell our wonderful audience how they can find out more about your stuff, how to get in contact and maybe follow your journey? Yeah, of course. So you can actually sign up to my email list now at rachilly.com. So that's www.rachilli.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram. I'm on stories a lot rambling about random nonsense. um, And that's at Rachilly. Or on Twitter as well, which I'm slowly easing back into again, which is Miss Rachilly. Excellent. And I'm glad to see you back on Twitter myself because it's, it's a familiar face that I enjoy watching rather than politicians for once. So much is muted on there nowadays. I just try to make it a happy place. <laughs> That's what it should be, as we've talked about already. Well, thanks for joining us for the Make Life Work podcast. Um, it been wonderful to have you on board. I'm sure our audience will really appreciate your insights. Take care, and hopefully we'll catch up again next year when things have evolved, let's say. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on here, lovely, honestly. I've, I've loved it. It's a pleasure, and uh, thanks for accepting the invite as well, because as you say, without asking, you don't know. No, no, cool. no worries. Thank you. For all our listeners of the show, please let us know your thoughts of this episode and all the other discussions I've had so far. You can find me on Twitter as at Cy, Rachel as Miss Rachel Lee, or you can even email me, Cy at jobling.com. This podcast is available in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most of the popular podcast apps out there. So make sure you subscribe and leave us a rating or review to pick up on. For all the series archives, the show notes, and links for where to find everything, pop along to scijobling.com slash work. If you've listened to this podcast and would like to share your stories, make sure you get in touch. You can also join our side project community called On The Side by visiting onthesideneetwork which will take you straight through to our Slack workspace for registration. That's all from me. Take care.